You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Uh, hey, glad you're here. My name's Dusty. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm really glad that you're here. And I, I don't know if this is kind of the, the left-behind crew of everybody that actually didn't get to go somewhere cool. I don't know. Uh, but... Um, I got away a little bit, and I've already heard really cool stories from, we had three college trips to um, Utah, um, to Denver, and to New York, and really hearing great things about what God did there, so that's really cool. I'm glad you're here. Let me tell you what we're doing. Um, We've been going through um, the book of Proverbs, and the way we've been doing it, it's actually really hard to work through, like, a hey, we're going to handle chapter three today, because it's almost like a series of tweets, almost, is what it's like, where here's a verse on this, here's a verse on this, different topics. So we've been going thematically about what uh, the book of Proverbs teaches us about um, different topics, um, you know, sexuality, marriage, how to handle money, our words. Last week, Justin talked about friendship. So today it's gonna be emotions and I need to like, set limits to the sermon in a way. Like I'm not gonna hit everything that the book of Proverbs talks about emotion. Even that's a little broad. Um, I also would add that in our reading plan, we're, we're into Ecclesiastes now, which we'd love for you to join us on that. And Ecclesiastes is actually a really good counterweight to Proverbs, which typically is like, hey, here's the principle. And Ecclesiastes is, um, it's an interesting counterweight because it's like, hey, uh, you know, work in life is kind of meaningless, so you just need to find joy in it the best you can. You know, it's like an interesting, even emotional counterweight to what we hear in, uh, in the book of Proverbs. So I would encourage you to even read there. We're not going to be able to dive into all that. So um, talking about emotions, um, I'm just going to out myself on this, that I like, um, I like the show Survivor, and uh, we've been watching it as a family since, uh, thank you, uh, since like we're um, like, I mean, our, our I mean, legitimately, uh, Roman, when he's nearly 21 now, but he would be like two or three playing with toys. So we've been watching it with some friends for a long time. And uh, like one of the things you can just count on every time is um, that somebody will say, here's my strategy. And in parentheses, they don't actually have a strategy, is they'll say, I'm just going to play with my gut and my heart. And, uh, you know, that's how I live my life. And usually that means that they don't actually have a strategy. But when somebody makes them mad, they're going to vote them out. And like whatever emotion they're feeling in the minute, that's that's the direction they're going. And like that that's a... A way that a lot of us do live our life is there's a certain uh, group of us in here, like your life is like ruled by your emotions. Like whatever emotion you feel in the second is what's going to cause you to act and you're going to express that emotion. And in fact, some of us that I I think right now in our cultural moment that for, I think in general, that if you feel something that um, like feelings are like all important and like supreme and rule over everything. And if if I feel offended, that must mean I was offended. And And uh, that isn't always true. Just because you feel offended and just because you're mad doesn't actually mean uh, that that emotion is like right. Like it's right in terms of how you've experienced it, but is it possible that the thing that made you mad um, that you might be off about? Maybe your perspective, maybe that that emotion is unevaluated. But to us, if you feel it, it's the law, right? So there's a segment of our group in here today that are are ruled by their emotions. Now, there's another segment of us that are on the other end of that. um, And I probably lean uh, more towards this, or quite a bit, I think, is that some of us tend to ignore our emotions and almost mute them, where um, that, that we um, try to eliminate all negative emotions and kind of numb ourselves to um, sadness, pain, um, anxiety, different things we feel, and we just try to like turn that off. And of course, there's all sorts of downsides to this, uh, like you're going to numb joy along with pain when you do that. That's one of the big downsides. Um, and the reality is, is that we're probably not being honest. Like we, we do feel things, but we're just trying to immediately 
accidentally um, in, engage them and mute them in a way um, that isn't really helpful. And I don't think the book of Proverbs is going to take us in the direction of saying, hey, let's just mute all the anger, mute all the, the um, pain or anxiety and uh, feel nothing. That that's, not all, that's also not going to be the direction that Proverbs is going to take us. So we're going to be looking at a third way where we're neither being ruled by our emotions nor are we, um, nor are we like ignoring them, muting them, and pretending they're not there. So what we're going to do is that we're going to hit a few samples in, uh, in Proverbs, and like I'm going to look at three just to give you a broad overview, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time in one chapter just so you can kind of see some flow. And um, I, I do think in, in chapter 14, there's just some interesting principles that carry out there too. And uh, just so you know, we will land on like a, a bit of a, hey, here's what we do about it from Proverbs, mostly chapter 14. So um, here's a few samples really quick. Um, 29.11, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one just because it's a theme you're going to see a lot today in uh, chapter 14. Uh, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Uh, well, there you have it. We just jumped right in there, didn't we? And, um, and so here's, let me explain some of the categories here because that seems harsh. You're like, did God just call me a fool? Is that just what happened here? Did the Bible just call me a fool? And yeah, but, uh, but it's a little different than you think. Like a lot of times we use a fool as like a put down, uh, but rather uh, in, in wisdom, uh, the wisdom literature, like the book of Proverbs, some Psalms, you have two paths to, to be on. One is the path of wisdom that begins with the fear of the Lord, Proverbs 1-7, where we acknowledge uh, the way we access God now is through Jesus' death and resurrection, and we have a respect of him and honoring of him, and we have a path that we walk on of wisdom, and that's where we go with this, is a path of wisdom where whatever God says, that's what we do, and we even, even in our decision-making, which we hit on two weeks ago, that there's a way that's informed by wisdom, this, this is the way of the wise. The other path is the way of the fool, and the way of the fool does what he wants to do or she wants to do, whatever's right in your own eyes, which we'll see in chapter 14. Um, morality, direction, uh, decision-making are whatever you want to do, especially fueled in the moment. And so the fool, the fool, just whatever, whatever uh, emotion you feel, you just give vent to it. Now, for a lot of us, we live in a pretty therapeutic age, and I'm not anti-therapy at all. In fact, I think just about everybody would really benefit. Um, I've, I've had a counselor and I think almost everyone would benefit from having just even preventative and regular to even help you understand um, how you're interacting with your emotions. But we do live in a very therapeutic age where um, I think the general perception is whatever, whatever emotion you feel that you just need to, need to vent it, you need to get it out, and then uh, that'll make it all better. But um, the reality is, in my experience, a lot of times when I give um, sometimes words to some of my frustrations, that it actually kind of gives these things feet. And um, it can, the venting um, can actually turn into something actually really negative or maybe even resentment takes root in my heart. Uh, I'm not saying we should stuff it. Remember, we just started with that and, and try to not engage those things. But just giving vent as if that makes it all better, I think even if you look at your own experience, that's not true. Uh, but there's something really wise about even like holding back the emotion that you feel right now from expressing it, venting it, letting that anger fly, that wisdom, again, this path over here, there's some discretion to letting those things uh, fly there. All right, let's look at another one. And by the way, let me just say one more thing on this. That for a lot of us, we would, uh, we would point and say, well, Jesus got mad. So, and I would, again, there is a time and a place for anger. Um, now, Jesus, here's the argument I would make. We see Jesus getting angry um, at least one time in the Bible. 
Uh, but I think how a lot of us imagine it being like our little fits, um, that we would start venting and uh, burninating the countryside and all that. So we, we might imagine uh, Jesus walking in and you know flipping over a table and what? what you know, like he just wasn't expecting it and he just re- responds as opposed to like a, a very purposeful, uh, a purposeful expression of justice, um, that uh, the ability to um, engage God in the temple was being threatened and uh, something as serious as sin and as serious as a people's ability to, um, especially Gentiles, being able to access God in that, in that court where the, there was a marketplace, there was an expression of justice and um, that it was purposeful. Anger um, can be a very right expression of, of justice and we see Jesus do that, but even even on the selfish level, um, for most of us, when we get mad, it's because we were offended. Somebody did something that made us mad, and you don't like how you, somebody talked to you or treated you. It's mostly like your ego was bruised, and here's the reaction to it. Look at Jesus on the closest parallel of that when he's on the cross, and people are, um, he's naked, and he's already been made fun of a lot um, through the trial that was a total sham. He goes on the cross, they're gambling over his clothes as he's dying naked on the cross, and they're jeering him saying, come on, man, if you're the son of God, why don't you like send angels or do something, you know? And if it's me, I'd be like, all right, you know, <laughs> that's what I would do if I was Jesus. Um, but fortunately for all of us, I'm not. And, um, and rather, he just took it. You know, like he didn't, he, he wasn't like expressing his emotions um, while he's up there in a, I'm just going to vent this right now and get it out. Of, like he, there was, there was like restraint there, not a muting of it, um, but rather, and here's the thing with Jesus, it's not like justice wasn't served. I mean, either through hell um, or through people believing in what he was doing right there, his death and resurrection, like justice was going to be expressed either in the cross or in hell. So it's not like he's like, well, I mean, you know, they had a bad day. I mean, like he still was upholding justice at the end of the day, but his ego was set aside and he, he didn't feel like he needed to react and respond in that moment. Now, right, let's keep moving. These will be quicker. Proverbs 19, 11, same theme. Um, you'll see good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. We are so easily triggered right now. Um, there's something really beautiful about saying, you know what? I'm going to let that one go. I'm just going to... Um I'm just gonna slow my roll a little bit on this and I don't actually have to confront every perceived slight in my marriage, um, in my workplace, with friends, um, even culturally. I'm gonna just not tweet at all about it. Uh, I'm not going to post anything about this on Facebook. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just kind of process this a bit more. Uh, uh, 27.4, um, here's one last one that we're, we'll look at as well. 27.4, wrath is cruel, Anger is overwhelming, which we've already covered, but listen to this one. But who can stand before jealousy? So anger, there are times where anger can be like a justifiable emotion, like where it would be right to be offended and hurt and even standing for justice for something that's a real wrong or something like that. But jealousy, like there's just not anything redemptive about it. Jealousy is where you want something someone else has. Um, It might be their boyfriend, girlfriend, their husband or their wife, their children. Um, It might be their money, their house, their lifestyle. Um, It could be their skin, their hair, their body. I mean, whatever, their athletic ability, their intelligence. And if you could take it, you would. That's what jealousy is, is that uh, where it turns like real sour and uh, resentment and even entitled like that really should be mine. And it's like, hey, who can even, who can even stand? Like once that take root, takes root, like anger can be really destructive, but who can stand before jealousy? Like there's no winning uh, when that takes root in the soul. All right, so there's a sample. 
Now, what I want to do is like we'll work through Proverbs 14 for a little bit and just see how uh, Proverbs is actually going to attach this really deeply in the heart, so in a surprising way. So it's Proverbs 14. We'll work back through this passage that, uh, that Kelly read. Verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now, for the person that um, is ruled by their emotions, um, this is going to be a really challenging verse right here because um, there's a way that we just, especially if you're a, I'm going to play by my gut kind of person and I'm going to live with my heart, I'm going to make decisions with my heart, um, it, it seems like it's a really good thing. And if the deepest love in your heart is Jesus, and if he's the deepest love you've got, and you're on a path of wisdom, then um, th- this may end up working out better for you. On the other hand, if you've got some other things deep in your soul that are, uh, are the deepest love, and it could be something really wicked, um, a deep love for money, um, uh, broken forms of sexuality, I mean, it could be stuff like that, but oftentimes it's even good things that take the place of God, or like say, for instance, for families that are here, um, that the real temptation is going to be for the center point to be uh, the center point to be your kids, right? And instead of like God being the center point that you and your kids, and yeah, you're playing sports and you're you're doing stuff and you've got jobs and you're making money and you're paying bills and you're saving for the future and you're doing all that, but instead of rotating around God, that the kids, which very clearly we talked about this a few weeks ago on our family of origin and talking about parenting, that. Yes, we do want to raise and train and love our children, and it's a beautiful expression, I think a godly thing, but when that, that love becomes disordered and it becomes to the middle, um, what ends up happening is you don't even know it, but what seems right to you, you can make some, on this path of folly over here, you can make some really foolish commitments and decisions um, if your children are at the middle of your world instead of God and not even know it. We'll give some examples of that in just a minute, uh, but there's a way, and it'll feel totally right to you. You're going to be like, no, I'm justified in what I'm doing and whatever emotion I'm expressing, whatever decision I'm making. Verse 13, even in laughter, the heart may ache and the end of joy may be grief. Now, this is interesting because um, this is where emotions are so complicated, right? Is this one to me really helps for the person that tries to like stuff or deny their emotions is that um, you may feel pain and uh, you may be like, hey, I, I need to make that go away. Um, and if you care about the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram seven and anybody knows about sevens that you try to like immediately get out of pain anytime you can. And so like I'm especially prone to this and what you could try to do is I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to cover up my uh, pain or anxiety or some kind of emotion that I don't wanna deal with and with a good joke or a funny movie or is any of this ring a bell to you guys? And so what this is saying is, is look, even in laughter, like you, there may be somebody that seems like they're really upbeat and happy and they're making all the jokes and um, they're really upbeat, but the heart may be aching inside. And it may be a, a bit of a mechanism that we've got um, trying to like deal with that just with laughter, but this is just saying it's complicated, isn't it? Because even in emotions, you may see one, but something else may be experienced. And especially if we're not engaging what that pain is in a healthier way, um, that um, we just may try to keep masking it, keep escaping from it, and that may not be what you're looking for. Verse 14, um, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, and a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. So again, I want you to think about the two paths of either wisdom or folly. That's what this is talking about. The backslider in heart. In wisdom literature in the Bible, like there's two paths, and I realize there's gray and all that, but in wisdom literature, there's only two towards God, wisdom, and that's the good man flowing from the heart. Um, and what this would say here is there's gonna be fruit of, of their ways. In this path of wisdom, you have uh, Jesus at the center, 
and then there's going to be fruit from that. That's going to be wisdom flowing out from that. That's this path of wisdom. Um, the flip side of it, it calls the backslider. Uh, the backslider, on the other hand, is going to be his heart is going to be filled with the fruit of his ways. There's going to be actions because God is not at the center point of this. So let me give you an example. And I love this about the book of Proverbs because it actually does, even though there's a lot of instruction here on, hey, here's how to live, here's how to not live, there's a lot of really practical stuff, but it repeatedly anchors it down to what you love. And what you love is going to inform what you do. I mean, that's, that's been a theme we've seen over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, this way or that way. Okay, so let's just say, using the example I gave earlier, that your kids have moved into the center place of your heart. Again, good things, beautiful things, um, and, but then they move into the center place. Here's what can happen when you are doing what seems right in your own eyes is what will happen is, is that um, kids are at the middle and um, you, you're looking, your emotional well-being is rising and falling with their successes and failures. Like you, you need them to be happy and successful for you to be okay. You know, like that's where all your chips are at the middle of it. And by the way, if you're like, well, I don't have kids. Okay, well, you could put almost anything in this. How about your GPA, your body, your career, your dating life, whatever. Put something else in there, and it's going to be the same exact deal. But when your kids are at the middle, what will happen is, is you just don't even know it, but like um, there will be something that will happen, and maybe your kid's on a sports team, and they made the B team, you know, or they're not playing like you think they should, or they're not playing the position you think they should, or whatever it would be, or it's in school, and you worked really hard on that, pro I mean, they worked really hard on that project, and only got a B, and, um, and they, they did all this, and like immediately, your, your reaction to this is, you know, like the volcano, and um, again, if you're the deny your emotions person, you'll like maybe make a joke, but like deep down inside of you, like there's resentment growing towards that coach, towards that teacher, um, and, and you, you come and you, you decide, you know what, um, we're not going to do this. We're yanking you off this team. Uh, we're going to play for somebody else. We're going to go to a different school, and I'm going to go talk to that teacher. Do they not know, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you've seen it. Like if you're a parent, you've seen it from other, uh, from other parents and people that you've observed. Every teacher and coach here has seen it. Um, school administrators, they've seen it. And it comes up in a lot of different ways. Uh, but this is what happens is um, there's going to be fruit of your ways. And whenever there's a disordered love from the heart, uh, it's going to seem right to you. You're going to feel like, no, this is, an, this is an issue of justice that my kid's in the B team. And the coach is like, uh, um, actually, that's just where they fit, you know? Like, I don't care which kids play and don't. And whatever, the, and the teacher's like, man, I'm just grading the papers here, man, you know? Uh, but to us, it feels like we react that way because to us, we experience it that way. And that's what happens when we have a disordered love with kids at the middle as opposed to God. Everything gets, our perspective gets lost in the middle of it. Um, kind of building on that, verse 15, the simple believes everything, um, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Uh, the one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. So this is really interesting. If you're on this path of, of folly, right? Um, if that's what you are, a path of uh, lack of wisdom and you're being a fool, like you're actually gonna be really gullible. You're gonna be really prone to um, believe things because they seem like they solve the problem that you're really wanting to be solved and it may not do it at all, but you're really gonna be apt to believe it. Um, that's one part of it. And um, then also um, there's a caution and a turning away from evil. The fool's reckless and careless, but there's caution and wisdom and deliberateness over here. Like, that's the contrast that you see. So again, 
using that as an example, um, so let's say if money was at the center point of your life, and yeah, you've got God and other things, but they're mostly orbiting around like financial prosperity and doing really well, that when someone says, hey man, you could quit your job right now, so you quit your paying job uh, because somebody told you you can make six figs selling knives. And you're like, oh, this is, this is genius. I can make my own schedule, hardly work, make six figures, selling knives, it's gonna be incredible. And, um, and so the simple, because uh, we can't, it seems right to you to leave the paying job and go do that, and if you're a knife salesman, I'm sure it's worked out great for you. Um, but instead of God, like that money's at the center of it, so therefore you're actually susceptible to a get-rich-quick thing um, with hardly any work because it, it kind of strums that chord of your heart of I can get this, and I could get this, this thing I really want with minimal work. Or if it's your kids, um, same thing, is that um, you talk to some other coach and be like, oh, man, if I... Man, if your kid was for me, it would be playing shortstop, probably our best pitcher, um, probably hitting the middle of the order. You, you need to come over with us next year. And so you hastily quit that team, move over, and then you didn't realize it, but they've got 20 kids on the team. And sure enough, um, your kid ends up playing about the same kind of role, um, and they cashed a big check along the way while your kid moved over there. And you're like, how did this happen? You were susceptible, and you acted foolish because they said exactly, it played to exactly what it is you wanted deep in your heart. Like your, your emotions and the things you love will dictate how you feel. Um, that thing you love will dictate how you feel, and even there will be fruit of your ways and make you susceptible to be really gullible um, and walk unwisely because you didn't really want to see what was true. And I think if you were to look back at some of your worst life decisions you've made, this is exactly the pattern, is you didn't want to see it. You'd already made up your mind of what you wanted to do, so you went forward with it, ended up being a really bad decision, um, and you couldn't even see it at the time because there's something else that you loved more than God, and then there was fruit of that that flowed out. Verse 17, same pattern that we've seen previously, um, a man of a quick temper acts foolishly, but a man of evil devices is hated. Um, this is really interesting, is that um, here's this temper, and again, we're not talking about a deliberate, hey, that really hurt me. Um, can we talk about that? That's not that, but this is just a, that thing. Blunt talk about this. Um, in your homes, especially those of you that are raising children and are in a marriage, uh, but this would also be true for those of you that have roommates and very close friends, or maybe you're a teacher, you're a coach, you're whatever, um, you're a boss of a place, and you regularly go nuclear, um, understand this. this. This is happening right here. Um, whenever you have a combustible temper, know that it's very empowering to you and you may be getting what you want in the minute that everybody gets more quiet and your spouse and your kids go, go do the thing that you want them to go do. Your roommate does it. Maybe your employees go do it. Whenever you go, uh, your head explodes and you do that and it seems like it's working, but know the end result is resentment and hatred. Like you're winning battles, but you're losing their hearts in the middle of your anger as you respond because you need to be right or because you need to be in control is because you need to get certain results and because you love money, um, the, the marks need to be hit or whatever the case would be um, that uh, we end up doing this and that ends up being the result uh, of, of all of it. And so I think a better way, uh, this whole flow of this is instead of being led up by your desires is to evaluate them. Um, and they're, they're gonna give you a direct line to your heart, if you will, evaluate those desires. Um, they're gonna be, uh, not mute them, because there's something really valuable. If you follow them, they're gonna, they're gonna show you what you love, for sure. Okay, so I wanna move forward. You're like, well, this has been a, a ray of light. Thanks, man, um, for pointing out my anger issues, uh, among other things. 
um, or just how I can be emotionally numb in general. So I think the Proverbs also is going to help us to, to know what to do. So we've, we've been hitting at a few, uh, but let's um, look at a few, mostly from this chapter, but a little bit elsewhere too. Number one, be slow to anger. Be slow to anger. Um, we can look at verse 29. Um, that's where Kelly skipped down to. Um, this is one we've seen a lot. Uh, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Uh, so uh, again, this is just a slowness to anger. It doesn't mean a muting of it, but it means be deliberate, evaluate it, um, look carefully, even dissect it. Like, where's this anger coming from? What thing I love is being threatened. That's where anger comes from in the same way that joy comes from something that I love is happening. Um, something that I love is being threatened, but what? Uh, being slow to anger um, is actually really important. Uh, number two, possess a tranquil heart. Tra it's an interesting word, but look at verse 30 and you'll see where I get it. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. That was that last verse that Kelly read. So it doesn't say um, to combat envy or like these negative, like anger, hatred kind of uh, emotions with like nothing, but rather the contrast to that is tranquility. Uh, which you could even make a case as a, a different emotion than that. I think if you wanted to New Testament languageize this thing, it would be use the language of contentedness, if that helps you any. Paul uses that, is godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, that whenever our heart is content with who Jesus is, his death and resurrection, we are free and clear with him, uh, that we can't lose because we are loved sons and daughters. Uh, there's a contentedness that says, hey, look, I'm gonna keep working hard, but I'm not expecting money to make me whole. I'm not expecting my kid to be on the A-team to make me whole. I'm not expecting to get married to make me whole. I'm not, I'm not looking for any of th those things to like, complete me. Rather, like I've got a contentedness, even while I'm churning, and I do wanna improve, and I do wanna uh, be successful, in my business and I, you know, your kids are going to do their stuff and that you want them to help them grow and improve. Yes to all that, uh, but there's a contentedness even while we move forward that we have nothing to prove to God. Like we're safe and secure. A tranquil heart um, is going to be much less reactive um, uh, whenever specific things, uh, hurtful things even happen. We're not being ruled by our emotions nor ignoring them either way. Um, number three, um, some positivity and a redemptive outlook really helps, and it'll help both you and other people. Um, now, I'm gonna point towards three different verses in Proverbs, just talking about even highlighting the good and the beautiful um, when we see them in one another. Um, so Proverbs 15, 30. Um, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Or Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Or Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Just a quick word on this. So, um, you know, I, uh, I don't know of any better news uh, than Jesus' death and resurrection. Even the gospel, that word means good news. Uh, but man, I look back over the years. Redeemer's actually a great church to pastor. Like I'm not, I have pastor friends that are just constantly like um, getting like beaten down by their churches and I see podcasts on abusive pastors. There probably need to be some on abusive churches out there too. Um, but here's the thing, that is not Redeemer. It's a joy to pastor here. But over the years, a handful of times, I'll have somebody that, you know, will, the, like, the only time I interact with them is when there's something they don't like. And um, here's the thing I'll, I'll usually say in those situations is, hey, actually, please do give us feedback where we need to grow and improve and where I can grow and improve. I do want that. It'll be much easier for me to digest that if I'm also hearing you highlight what's beautiful and redemptive about the church and even how God's using me or whatever the case would be. And the same thing about parenting. Um, I saw the study a while back from college athletes looking back at their youth sports career. 
you know their least favorite part about their youth sports career uh, growing up? Number one least favorite was the ride home. Um, they already went 0-3, which feels like 0-35 to a kid. They already know it didn't go well. And then you start debriefing about, hey, you can't let the ball go through, you know, whatever it is, you know, you got to make that jumper, you shoot more or whatever. And you start debriefing it and start beating them down about all the stuff they didn't do well. And anybody can do that. Uh, but a grace-filled person is able to say, hey, man, great job. When that ball went through the wickets, you did a great job hustling it. Now, when you threw it away into right field, I also love how you hustled the back, you know, whatever. Find something, find something positive um, that you're able to highlight about, uh, about something beautiful. And really, for every one of those things that you say that's a corrective thing to your kid or or your roommate, or your employee. I mean, six or seven things about, hey, great job, I saw you do that, that was excellent. Um, that good news lifts the soul. Uh, fourth and finally, um, don't fight ugly emotions with denial. Uh, rather, engage the emotions. Uh, I think we saw some verses about that a second ago, but look at Proverbs 10, 12. Um, it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. So here's what happens is you go, uh, maybe even really without even recognizing it, you go from like a justifiable anger, someone hurt your feelings, someone did something wrong, they did something mean to someone else, whatever the case, let's just even say that anger is justifiable and even should be confronted. Uh, but it can really quickly go from anger that's justifiable to hatred and resentment that begins to get in the soul and deep where the kind of thing where you wouldn't even want to talk to them if you saw them. Like if you saw them at the grocery store, you'd go the other direction. And um, this doesn't say um, rather, hey, look, we just need to uh, mute all that hatred and anger, but rather to move towards love. Um, that whenever we, uh, again, this is that path of wisdom and folly, that if we move towards this one, we are receiving the love and forgiveness of God. We may not want to even go be friends over here with someone that's hurt us, but rather we're going to engage that resentment, address it when we see it happen. Maybe there needs to be a conversation with that person. Maybe there doesn't, but we're certainly addressing the hatred and resentment. Um, it stirs up strife. People have to pick sides on who they're with. Um, that's the path of folly, um, but rather we, we engage love. This isn't moving just to a neutral spot. So just as an example of all this, um, just laying this out there is that like Amy and I, we, I would say that in general, Amy's a real deep feeler. And so for her, she's going to struggle more with having that emotion and it, boom, coming out like that. I tend to, I tend to be like, eh, I'm, I'm going to kind of mute that. I want to escape that. I want there to be peace. That, that's how I'm going to, in general, tend to react with things. And so I look back, especially early on in our marriage, and um, early on, the pattern would be, she'd get real quiet, and I would be like, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? And we'd get to number 13 or so. And sometimes she would admit that in those early days, sometimes she was wanting me to get to about number 14 to show I was really serious about figuring out what was, what was wrong, because I didn't know, kind of oblivious. Um, and so um, that would be part of it. But then there'd be another part of it that she was actually really maturely trying to evaluate those emotions and, um, and, and engage them. But she didn't know if like her feelings were hurt, but it might have been stupid. And it might not have been right, even. Like there might have been something, a disordered love in her heart that caused her to react to something that really wasn't me. It was all inside of her. And so what we had to learn to do early on, and we still practice this, is I might ask once or twice, and then she'll say, hey, look, can I just, I need some time to kind of think through, something did hurt my feelings, but can you just give me some space to kind of like evaluate that a little bit? And then sometimes a day later, she may come back and say, okay, you hurt my feelings yesterday when you said this, but the more I've been thinking about it, um, I don't think you meant anything by it. 
And I was like, no, what did I say again? And, and all that. And so, and here's the thing is, and I also had to acknowledge some of those times when I was asking her if she was okay, it wasn't actually that I was wanting to go engage the emotion and even own if I had done something wrong, but I just wanted it all to go away and for us to start having fun again. And so, and like we both had to go, okay, well, maybe me like running from it isn't the right answer and her not going like this whenever something wasn't going there, but to engage them, but in a deliberate way and engage those emotions in a way that honors the Lord um, and also even brings reconciliation and love. And even sometimes when I say, you know what, I'm just not even going to bring that up. That, that kind of hurt right there, but it's really not that big a deal. I bet you didn't mean it. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's just keep on moving down the road. And so I want to pray for us right now that, uh, that we would uh, not be ruled by our emotions. We wouldn't mute them, uh, but rather, uh, here's the real opportunity for you right now. If you'll, these emotions will take you on a trail that will show you what you love. This is why we can't mute them. And we can see sometimes things that we love that are causing us to be crazy, all right? And putting Jesus on the throne, first and foremost, will be the way out of this. So let me, let me pray that that would be true. Uh, Lord, would you uh, let us even give that trail to our heart um, through our emotions and um, that um, also that we'd engage them in a healthy way, that you wouldn't let relationships and even, you know, with the church, marriages, uh, with kids, parents, friends, all that blow up uh, when we blow up and um, that there'd be something deliberate about how um, we would engage them. And Lord, show us what we love uh, through this and um, that we would honor you with how we engage them. So Lord, let it, let it be. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.